So, yeah, getting this thing started, how would you describe what it is that you do exactly? That is such a great question because I'm always toying around with that myself simply because I use a lot of different modalities. And I think we're at a stage where people are outgrowing traditional job titles. <laughs> so I know that's confusing, but I would say like I'm a spiritual mentor. I use astrology. I use spiritual psychology. I use trauma informed psychotherapy meditation and subconscious reprogramming so it's yeah it's a mix wow so how and why did you pick this route for your life um it's interesting choice of words pick because it really has been a journey it's not like when i was a kid i was like hey i want to be a spiritual mentor when i grow up mm. And like a lot of people, um, I've been through a ton of trial and error, which I've come to realize um, it's part of my journey. I can see that really clearly through things like astrology and human design, um, which I love because I really feel they give us permission. You don't have to have everything worked out when you're 25. Yeah. And so up until 30, I had a real zigzag of studying marine biology and living in really remote areas, then moving to London, not being able to do that career and um, working as a research assistant in an investment bank. I've done like all these polar opposite careers and um, a lot of people were like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> it's not a linear career but it's given me such a depth of experience and it was when I was 30 which in an astrology we have a moment called Saturn return which some of your listeners might know about but we kind of have like an inner reckoning with our inner authority about like how am I leading my life what you know what's really important to me and during that phase I let go of a lot of layers of that investment banking job of a marriage that wasn't serving me um leaving that whole life behind and just really embarking on um, a little bit crazy, just a, a curiosity journey. I, I felt called to go to South America. I spent some time there, felt called to go to India. And along the way, I found myself totally captivated by this world of spirituality, of meditation, of the 99.99% space that we live in rather than focusing on the material and I think anyone that's been on that journey it just is so amazing that you want to make that part of your life's work so yeah. that is the short but not so short version of how I got into spiritual mentoring oh yeah seems like uh you went on some kind of soul search and uh traveled the world a little bit in it um probably worked out some inner stuff you had going on and then wanted to spread the love a little bit to others from what you've learned. Definitely. And I think, you know, when you say how, I forget what the question was, how did I get into the work, but it really yeah. does find you yeah. because even once you start making that change, you know, it sounds cliche, but people are like, wow, you're different. You look happier and you're really thriving. And like, how did you do that? And that typically is how you kind of, or in my experience was how I got started. Mm -hmm. So it was quite like an organic growth. And then people get curious, oh, what's that stuff you're doing with astrology? And I've heard really cool things about meditation. Can you share about your experience in India? And and then more recently, it's been the trauma-informed work, like, oh, I've done therapy before, you know, what's what's this um, methodology of trauma-informed work you're doing that's more somatic? And I'm really curious about that. So um, I guess, and that's like, yeah, just creating the network or synchronicities that we were chatting just before we started recording, whereas when you start resonating at that frequency and you're feeling really content and happy about that stuff you're learning with, people people want in mm -hmm. yeah yep i feel as though this is this holistic path um it's kind of like 
the new way of living. And I think the only way to actually find some kind of semblance of happiness, you know, some kind of um, identity rooted in what we actually are, way more than the old paradigms of, you know, got to provide for with a paycheck and just make it by and survive like there's there's a mm. whole new wavelength that's coming about now and i think people are realizing this was an aspect of ourself that we've just been missing for years there are mm -hmm. actually ancient archaic parts of us that maybe people in the tribes were more exposed to but we've been neglecting that for thousands and thousands of years and it's just coming about now it's such a beautiful thing to be alive in this time to see all of these different modalities and practices come about so that people can actually truly be happy in this life <laughs> you know that's what it's yeah. all about it's definitely an honor <laughs> to be alive at this time you know especially even as a woman thinking about the rights that we have even to spiritual practices because yeah. as you said like thousands of years ago there was all of the priestess spirituality and then more recently it has been very male dominated women had to dress up to try to get into mystery schools or um they just weren't honored in spirituality before for their cyclical nature buddha was like you need to be the same all the time yeah we can't have persecuted <laughs> women in here mm -hmm. so yeah it's, it's definitely like an honor on that level that we have all the resources and um a lot more freedom there could be more but we we do have a lot more and that people are getting more hungry and curious i mean that's what happened to me when i was 30 in london i had this great job on paper everything was like perfect but deep down i felt something was missing i was like really is this it mm -hmm. and you know people have more freedom to follow that now than 50 years ago um you know people felt more locked into the job family i can't even change career you know 50 years ago unless you were an eccentric possibly quite wealthy um spiritual traveler that yeah. you know could go on a quest so extremely grateful for for this current environment and all of its possibilities mm -hmm. amen amen to that and i think you described it well that realization of is this it this is it really this is the american dream or the um, London dream or, you know, whatever. <laughs> this is the dream. This is what I was sold my whole life. And I think uh, a, a lot of people, I mean, personally speaking, and you as well, they figure out that it's totally not it. It's the opposite. It's the mm. opposite of it. <laughs> exactly. Mm. And this is really classic of that um, Saturn return moment that I mentioned earlier, which is an astrological moment that we all go through around about 28 to 30. And it is about getting in touch with that inner authority compared to the outer. So you were just touching on like there is this outer dream through society, through parents, you know, well-meaning at times, but a lot of people kind of get to a bit of a crunch point where they're like, wow, I've been working for these last, you know, all of my 20s to get to this point and I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? And, you know, it takes courage to let go of that American dream or modern dream and and be an individual and be like, wow, my dream's different. Yeah. Yeah. So where would you say that our yearning stems from this pursuit of happiness? What are we all pursuing at the end of the day? If the materialistic paradigm isn't going to do it for us, then what will? Well, a really interesting question that is asked, like in the mystery school, I go to in India, which is part of Buddha's eightfold path that you say in the beginning, like, you know, what do you want? <laughs> What do you really want in life? And typically the questioning kind of goes, well, you know, I want money. And then it's like, why do you want money? Oh, because I want to buy a house and I want to buy these things. And it's like, why do you want to buy those things? And then the questioning always comes back to, I want to be happy, but really I want to be peaceful and content. Yeah. 
And that's the journey from the material world to then the spiritual journey of the, the inner wealth. And, you know, you can ask that questioning to anyone. It can be like the hardest nosed entrepreneur. And when you keep doing, but why, why, why <laughs> you always come back to that wanting to feel bliss, that wanting to feel peace, it always boils down to that. And so even if people aren't conscious of it, ultimately that's what's really driving us as humans and we are then under a false illusion that the money is going to give us the bliss and peace which our kind of mm, elite or very rich (laughs) generation and rich famous celebrity people have shown us is definitely not happiness Mm, yeah Mm -hmm. so true It's almost it could be the complete opposite, you know, more money, more problems. I mean, we need it. We need money in, in materialism. Like we're literally using tools right now. Definitely. Yeah. Like, that's not it. That's not the cap. I think that's the big difference. One can realize is that that's not necessarily the source of happiness. It's going to, you know, it could lead to opportunities in one's life, but that's not like when I get the car, when I get the house, when I get the million dollars, <laughs> That's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll make it and be peaceful and kumbaya. I think that's the paradigm. That's the old paradigm that's kind of leaving us now. And, and people are looking for alternative methods and alternative ways to actually go about finding it. Um, and we are. We are finding and touching upon this, this sense of peace. But it almost seems quite the opposite of materialism in some ways, which is leads people, some people, into extreme monasticism like monks you know that's the complete opposite of materialism yeah i also don't think is Mm -hmm. the truth but you can kind of see where they come from at least totally because you know money is definitely not a a bad thing but it's how we approach it and another analogy that's given in some of these pan-indian traditions is um you know the money the big house the perfect wife whatever they count them all as zeros and they count having a relationship with the self like of um a self-awakening as a one if you don't have the awakened self you can have all of those things but it's a bunch of zeros Mm. it's not true wealth when you have the awakened self as the one the more zeros you add quickly very very quickly that abundance increases and i think that's important because we need awakened um you know i I, the language around here is clunky at times but awakened conscious people that you know do have a lot of wealth and are doing quote unquote conscious things with it because otherwise we end up in a very narcissistic spirituality. We're all connected. And in the new age world, there is a lot of narcissistic spirituality of like, wow, look at me. I manifested all this stuff at some level. I'm better than you. And it's like, if you're not using that wealth to make the world a, a better place at some level, then that's not, an awakened being, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into that. How would you describe, if we could try to describe, an awakened being? <laughs> <That's> so- <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, that's why even before I was like, oh, but, you know, the words, the semantics around this, you know, it's kind of a bit cringeworthy at time. Um, I'm not sure if anyone really has proper language to describe that i don't know if i want to go down that that path being recorded i might come back and listen and be like oh my god that's what i said (laughs) but you know just being really honest like i have spent years in mystery schools in india with, with one of my masters who i truly believe through feeling his aura and everything is an enlightened awakened being but i've never met anyone else i've met lots of people like you know, on their journey or pretending to be close. I'm certainly not one, you know, I aspire to be one. Mm-hmm. And so to try to find the words to describe such a person when I've had limited experience, I think would be difficult. And 
This is the humbling part of spirituality. Even calling myself a spiritual mentor, sometimes I cringe because it's like, wow, spirituality is like so vast and our capabilities as a human being are so untapped. Our, you know, I, I talk a lot in my mentoring sessions about bringing the unconscious to light. And it's not just the subconscious, but the superconscious. We have all these capabilities of like, you know, telepathy, different types of intuition, going into deep states of meditation like samadhi. Most of us are not even like 0.5% tapped into or have actualized that potentiality. And an awakened being would have, so like to bring it back to that, I'm just coming from a humbled perspective of, um, yeah, grasping for words to find it but I guess at a grassroots level I was saying that it would be someone that does have at some level responsibility and care for their surrounds not saying they have to care after every single person in the world but that there is some level of care of the earth and that their projects are um not just for themselves (laughs) I see I like that my definition a very simplistic definition. If somebody were to ask me and have no idea of anything of this realm per se would be pretty much actually what you just described. The knowing that, um, of the super consciousness of the subconscious of the parts of our being that mm, Go beyond the old paradigm, like we described before, maybe a little bit beyond the five senses, maybe realizing there's a sixth sense to um, what we are, realizing our interconnectivity, you know, between all human beings and in the earth, a sense of just our being extending a little bit further than the body in the five senses. Uh, it's just like a little, even if one isn't as uh tapped in as your master per se um even just the knowing that it's possible or knowing that or just the inclination to wonder about that i feel is some sort of awakening out of the dream of the ego state you know like Mm -hmm. just the simple fact of realizing more than just materialism i feel as though is some kind of awakening and i know that's that is definitely cringeworthy but i mean there's other terms to use but i think you know what i'm saying yeah and that that just reminds me i don't know which tradition it is but one tries to apply different uh, definitions and they do say the first awakening is just realizing exactly what you said that you're more than your physical body yeah and then they're they're kind of like these levels (laughs) yeah not that we like levels but yeah sometimes it's helpful we need some kind of framework um as a way a tool of communication and of sharing of ideas it can be helpful having those frameworks Mm -hmm. i mean i feel as though there is levels even though i mean one could also argue at an absolute level there is no such thing as levels it's all just this one super uh, conscious being all playing out at once in different vibratory patterns uh that's a whole different rabbit hole i guess at an absolute level there is no levels but really at a relative level i do see levels or jhanas as one Mm. may call it where one sort of unlocks different cds to Mm -hmm. tap into their consciousness and either and use it effectively hopefully as you describe someone who helps out others or not, I guess. Um, but it's just, um, I guess it's like bringing awareness to um, a higher ability within us and then also being able to uh, take advantage of that higher ability and hopefully serve the world with it, you know, being able mm-hmm. to tap in and then being able to utilize it as well. And there's levels totally. to that. Yeah. I think it's just sometimes, I guess it's just the, um, the tricks that our mind plays on us. I think it's the mind getting involved with the levels 
and they can be useful. But when our mind is clinging on to, I'm at this level or I'm trying to get to that level, can be dangerous. It reminds me of one of the Shiva sutras that says knowledge is bondage Mm -hmm. or knowledge is not bondage, which I'm probably butchering that sutra, but I love it. But showing the flip side, sometimes it's so enlightening having knowledge about spiritual things. But sometimes it can hold us back because then the mind has a conceived idea of what's going to happen and expectation and imagination. And that very thing can block us from where we are trying to go. And I think anyone on the spiritual path is always playing this game of like, okay, I'm going to learn stuff for a while and then I'm going to burn all the books and go into the forest and (laughs) not do anything. And then I'm hungry to learn again. Like we're in this duality of wanting to have clues and guidance, but then realizing the importance of like the mind hanging on to that too much and getting in its way. Mm. Yeah, it's this weird tricky game that we kind of have to play with ourselves. Um, yeah. Um, I feel as though spirituality in the whole umbrella term, spirituality and all the different modalities and practices that one goes down could become also a trap. If you get sucked into whatever the practice is, the modality is, it, it can also become a part of your identity. And really, when it mm-hmm. comes down to it, like in a simple way of saying it, is we're almost trying to vanquish our identity. We're vanquishing the old paradigms, the old rituals, the old practices, and becoming a new. But then, what's the point of that if you just adopt a new identity of I'm the spiritual person? I'm the, I'm the meditator. That's just another trap. You're just trapping yourself into, and it's, it's an attractive trap. That's for sure. But at the end of the day, it's just another trap. And I feel as though if there is a goal to this whole thing, it's, um, yeah, it's ego dissolution. It's to, it's to, um, how do I put this? It's to like, yeah, lose yourself into this, the oneness, you know, there's Mm -hmm. another cringe word but it's to lose your 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 sense of separate self and slowly merge into the one ocean you know the one drop Mm -hmm. becomes the one ocean but then if you take the identity of i'm the spiritual person it's uh you become just another drop of the spiritual (laughs) person you know it's counterintuitive but yeah it's a razor's edge yeah yeah um I mean, and we are in a new kind of age of spirituality in some point. I mean, just as a reference point in the past, there was very much like the guru-disciple relationships. And Mm -hmm. I think some of the benefits for that are that the lessons that we need to receive at different times are very different and sometimes even contradictory. And even when you listen to discourses, like I love listening to Osho and other masters, and um, I think it's even been written throughout the ages, like two people could ask them the same question. They would answer differently to both people depending where they are on their journey and where they're at and what they need. And through the age of the internet, we kind of sometimes have all of the information available at once. And I think people get confused and feel spirituality is contradictory just for the very thing we were just talking about. It's like, you know, should I learn more? Should I learn less? Should I dedicate myself into a spiritual modality or should I not? And, you know, all of those things are true at different times. And when people had a very close kind of guru relationship that if they were an awakened being, were able to call out the disciple of like, well, you're getting too much in that spiritual ego. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you true. should try doing this now. And, you know, obviously that's changed a lot over the years and there's a lot of pros and cons and there's been a lot of bad situations with that happening, especially in more recent times. But I think in this age of us being like, I totally believe that we're, uh, we need to listen to our own inner teacher. I've had really bad experiences of spiritual teachers who were trying to disconnect me from that. Mm-hmm. Had to do a lot of trauma informed work around that so that I could still feel comfortable within my spiritual practice and it wasn't tainted with those bad experiences. Mm. But, you know, at times I'm like, yeah, I still honor a really good teacher or mentor, not to tell me what to do, but as a, 
way shower cringe word that I'm still tuning in and checking in with myself and my intuition, but I don't know everything. So sometimes we need someone who is a few steps ahead, even if we're on a different path that can call you out sometimes on your own spiritual BS or whatever it is. I think humans are gregarious and we're definitely not meant to do all of this alone. So it's really having a spiritual community um, or a person and those people might change over time that we kind of use to help us when we get in that situation of like my shaman, but then your shaman or whatever ego stops coming up because i do hear a lot of that my shaman's better than your shaman my master is the one the only one on the earth and your master doesn't know what he's doing and it's just really really unhealthy and that's an example of when someone needs a little reality check (laughs) oh man Mm, yeah it's like on one side of the coin we need guidance in all of the hubbub of the spiritual realm on the internet it's hard to say where to start what you need in what moment it's just a lot there's just so much out there and there's a lot of shit that one has to sift through in order to get to the good stuff so yeah i can see the the need for a guide to um to know what the person needs in any circumstance but then yeah you could also look on the side of the guide as being detrimental if it's not the right person for you so it's tough it's tricky it's definitely tricky. it's how we learn though and yeah. even i think i don't know if it was i'm quoting osho a lot he's like well there's no such thing as what did he say like a, like a bad master if you went with a false master you would have learned something i think buddha even said that and you know That's i was good. in i was in a situation where this at, at one point in the beginning this teacher was great i learned so much and then toward the end it was controlling but I learned from it. So was it good or was it bad? Did I have to go through that experience so that I could be like, no, I I know what it's like to trust myself. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that's what these situations teach us. And when we're coming at it from a spiritual perspective, there's lessons in everything. Mm-hmm. So even if we learned something from someone and they ended up being a spiritual phony or something else, and we're like, oh, I made a mistake. It's only a mistake if you didn't come back to yourself and like, wow, I know what not truth feels like now because I experienced that and that's going to make me stronger with my inner intuition and guidance that I'm going to pick things that feel more aligned. So sometimes we need things like that to happen. And I think this is also going back to at the beginning when I was saying like, we feel like we've got to have everything figured out. Like when we're 25, it's like human, (laughs) human life is messy. Mm -hmm. It's taking messy action and trying things out, trial and error. Yeah. It's like how we learn. And I think I also see a lot of people that are like spiritually paralyzed sometimes of like, I have to, you know, always be making the right decision. Of course we want that to happen, but if it freezes you and you don't end up doing anything, (laughs) Mm. that's not really so helpful either. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, if someone goes down an experience and they end up being with a bad teacher, it's like, well, did you learn from it? Because there's a lot, there's a lot you can learn from. Yeah. So true. I feel like that's just how we ultimately grow at a whole. It's harmony through conflict, it seems. Mm. It's like uh, for some reason, who knows, it's just in our design. We need to um, we need to have a little bit of darkness to find the light. Um, one could say that's the reason for suffering. It's to ultimately wake us up to uh to mm-hmm. align ourselves with something that per se doesn't really suffer you know a, a wavelength in oneself that transcends suffering but in order to pursue that wavelength i don't even know if pursue is the right word but in order to even get the inclination to that wavelength um one needs to go through it in order to say there's got to be another way um mm. so it's like we need to know what isn't it in order to know what is 
Totally. It's, yeah. you know, and that was again Buddha's Four Noble Truths. Life is suffering. And um, I think the new age spirituality, which is finally, I think, starting to lose a little bit of its shine, is like, yay, everything's positive, care bears, like happy unicorns. And it's just not true. So, like, even with Buddha's Four Noble Truths, I remember being in Bali, listening to a, a lecture and there are a lot of people in their early 20s that Bali kind of attracts and first finding spirituality and the teacher was talking about how life's a suffering and they interrupted They're like, no, life's like so wonderful and amazing and so many opportunities and like, how could you say that? And he's like, yeah, but at one point, like loved ones will die. Your parents will pass. You will get old, like, you know, it might not be till you're, even if you're healthy, but maybe in your 90s, you're not going to have the same mobility and that's going to be difficult. Or, you know, we get illnesses sometimes we don't have control over. You know, there are different beliefs around that, but there are things that we go through life that are hard. And I think that as a generalization kind of starts a bit more when we're in our like late 30s to early 40s we also have some gnarly astrology transits at that time which I think help initiate us in our maturation process of growing through that experience and becoming wiser mm. and again it's all about our perspective of like okay I'm going through something challenging but I'm growing mm -hmm. and yeah I think there's always going to be waves <laughs> like you just have to get ready for the next one and um again it's words do you want to call it hard do you want to call it challenging do you want to call it difficult but <laughs> it is what it is yeah yeah do you want to call it suffering yeah it is what it is <sighs> it is what it is that's the thing it's gonna happen yeah that's what the buddha saw we're gonna get old sick and die and that's what led him to become the Buddha. He had those, had those, uh, I was going to say insights, but not even insights. It was like outward observations of the world. <laughs> it was very literal, wasn't it? It yeah. was in this palace completely protected from even a dying leaf, apparently. And then that mm -hmm. first walk out and seeing old people and poor people. Mm -hmm. and 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 that realization but you know that is that's the gift of coming into spirituality early because the more that you practice doing this work it prepares us for those situations yeah. um i remember like one of my meditation teachers sally kempton she's so beautiful she was saying she when she was last here in london i think she had like three or four friends that had just had cancer diagnoses like it was a lot but two of them were meditators and two weren't and she was just speaking about how they were approaching this challenge and how different it was the ones that had a solid meditation practice of experiencing self at a much deeper level mm -hmm. versus someone who hadn't ever really meditated and were potentially facing concepts like mortality that I'd never really looked at before, you know? Yeah. And yeah, as you know, like when you're in that meditation space, that 99.99% space and focusing on that rather than material, if you do have some deep experiences like that, I think it really helps. Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, I'm saying it's easy, but it would be a difference, I think. Yeah. It helps. It helps. <laughs> so what would you say we are growing toward? If our suffering helps us grow and helps us to become wiser, is that essentially why we do this work of meditation or just inner work, inner alchemy altogether? It's to, I guess, handle life a little bit better and all its ups and downs just to be able to find that sense of peace, even in seeming um, unpeaceful situations. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's all about, would you say? I, I think so. I mean, Buddha's Eightfold Path 
um, describes this beautifully. And it, that's basically like a guide how to live enlightened, um, enlightened people. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So going to some of those points, like, you know, the mind creates a lot of our suffering. It's our perspective. And that's the first point he makes in that text that so much of our suffering is created through our own thoughts. And, um, as you said, like, this wisdom and why are we doing this work? It's like, well, when we strip away all of the false layers and colors that we put on situations through our emotions, often <laughs> straight away things feel different. Um, you know, something might happen at work or someone's not smiling at you on the street and you're like, oh, that person hates me they've got it against me and nobody likes me. And it's like, it's just a guy not smiling on the street. <laughs> and you've made, you've made this whole like misery about you. And that's a small example, but often we really get into our own inner storms yeah. from just our way of thinking. So, so yeah, part of the work is like, okay, can I take back some or strip back some of those emotional layers and this is what all the trauma-informed work is because we never really see things how they are. We see things how we are. Mm -hmm. And so if we have subconscious beliefs that we're not worthy or bad things always happen to me, um, I don't know, anything along those lines, yeah, straight me? away off the bat, mm -hmm. you know, anything can happen in life and it feels a million times worse. And so doing the inner work is like, okay, can I – the take off that trigger, take off that coping mechanism of belief yeah. <laughs> and just see straight on about what's happening. And yeah, immediately that helps us to come to a place then responding instead of reacting. And then he talks about communication, right action, right commitment. I mean, it's just all laid out so beautifully and so much of it's unlearning. I think you probably agree. It's just unlearning a lot of our conditioning yep. and that helps us to identify more with our, our essence self and less with our programming and wounding like yep. i think that's what a lot of the work's about when you were talking about how we get more wise and you know what are we doing we're just unlearning some of the wounding and coping mechanisms and identifying more with our essential self mm -hmm. well said well said um you said something in there as well that I, I liked. It was, we're not seeing things for how they are. We're seeing them for how we are. Mm. I never heard it put like that, but that's really mm -hmm. good. Yeah, it's not mine. Well, <laughs> hey, it's good. I've, I've also <laughs> copy pasted it from someone else, but, um, uh, you know, that's what happens. But I just say that because I'm also a really big proponent for honoring where we get things from and that's also lost in a lot of new age spirituality and instagram stars that mm -hmm. are just claiming all this wisdom like it's just there <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. you know this has been around for thousands of years people do really good marketing jobs on things to make it appear new and shiny but um yeah that's probably been around for a while but i think i've even heard people like dr joe Dispenza use it and another entrepreneur i follow in australia also says it all the time and yeah it's a really good one and um I mean, the entrepreneur in Australia, he actually has that like as his screensaver on his phone to constantly remind him. Mm. And he's become so successful because of all of the inner work that we we're just kind of alluding to about seeing where there are fictions clouding reality and making decisions from grounded places. Mm. And um, I love that because often we separate the corporate world and having worked in that world. I kind of laugh because so many of the spiritual principles are there, but because there is still like this woo-woo concept around spiritual beliefs, it's totally been given like a marketing job. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, like rebrand when I say job. Mm -hmm. So, even like the Buddha's Eightfold Path I keep referring to, that was rewritten as a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh. by Stephen Covey, which is a modern classic, mm -hmm. um, which a lot of business people use. And it's like, it's the same step 
that Buddha shared however many thousand years ago, I don't know. Um, astrology, it's a personality test amongst many other things. Like it's so much more powerful than that. But in the corporate world, they love a personality test for matching the people in the organization. But astrology, oh my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just think, you know, you start to see a lot of parallels like that after a while. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that about the, the book, the, um, uh, what was it? The seven traits, seven of habits of highly, habits. yeah, I've heard of that of before. highly effective people. Is yeah, it? Actually, it's a great book and it, I'm glad you wrote it. Path? Pretty much. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's about, yeah, seeing things clearly, communication, listening. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky that my spiritual mentor in India taught us the Eightfold Path in a really beautiful way. It's often overshadowed by potentially eight limbs of yoga, but um, the Eightfold Path is, that's why I keep referring to it, it is really is like a guide for unenlightened people to kind of live like an enlightened person, like constantly reminding yourself mm -hmm. of um, this disconditioning or, or counter-conditioning and... Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like that's, that's why I got so interested in the trauma-informed work as well. So I've been training with Dr. Gabor Mate and just seeing how that's such a big piece of our, like, spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of teachers in the past used to gloss over what had happened in our childhood and was just like, well, the now is now. Mm. Yeah. But I've really firsthand seen like after trying to do that and push down triggers and being economist, <laughs> actually going back in mm. and reliving some stuff, but we call it noble suffering because you're doing it for a reason, mm. has been for me personally very, very helpful. Mm. Yeah. What would you say the trauma does to us does it create blockades to that um that remembrance it's mm. like a you know like a sticking point into this old identity that we need to pretty much yeah i mean often it's described as a a contraction of self in a way so um gabor or whoever he learned it from says that the trauma is not necessarily the event that happens but it's what happened inside of you. Uh -huh. And yeah. so if it resulted in um, a coping mechanism that made you a little less smaller in your essential self and you weren't fully actualized, that's what we consider a trauma. So uh -huh. it may have been um, a parent kind of, this has happened to one of my clients, she was sharing at the dinner table and her about something at school or a conversation and her dad was like, oh, what do you know? And used to say that to her all the time. And it ended up over time she was like, well, it's not safe to share or I shouldn't share and I don't know anything. <laughs> and so as like a 40-something-year-old woman, she was very well educated but still had a lot of blocks around speaking or sharing at events, going into a panic that like imposter syndrome and I don't know enough. Mm. And so that's like holding her back. So, you know, it's a little T trauma, but that's how I kind of um, use that word because I know we can define it in a lot of ways. And so most of us didn't always have our complete full essence mirrored back to us. You know, that would be the ideal. Mm -hmm. And then in our spiritual work and reparenting, and that's what we kind of do is like unwinding why we do the things we do, reparenting that small part of ourselves. Because as a kid, we take on things very differently to an adult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people often miss that. And then through practices like meditation, which was in me really starting to see our full essence again and reminding us of our full essence. That's like a big work but mm, that's a few kind of examples of yeah as you said the trauma creates a bit of a block when not our full 
essential self and we have to reclaim those parts back and Amen. mirror that back to us. Mm -hmm. And the thing is too, I feel as though in one way or the other, we're all traumatized. Yeah, the, you can't, you can't you know. escape it. Yeah. It could be like a lost teddy bear, your friend, your best friend moves to another place, your dad loses his job, like, it's yeah. like what we said before, stuff happens, you could have the most perfect parents in the world, they can't protect you from sad, traumatic stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ultimately, though, here's another cliche, I think it all happens for a reason. Because, like we said before, that's how we learn. Like we, it's the suffering that turns us on to the, the higher self, if you want to say that. Mm. Um, I mean, one could also say, like, why does it even have to be like that in the first place? You know, why can't we just be born into a natural state of, why can't we just be born into heaven? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Maybe that's what we're doing. Maybe we're slowly building heaven as we're here. And, uh, you just got to work it out. We got to learn how to be heaven-like, you know, we, we got to learn how to be saint-like. And that's the whole process of this spiritual path is we're slowly um, refining ourselves and then ultimately refining the world from it. Um, who knows? I don't know. Just thinking out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's the ultimate humbling. No, <laughs> yeah, that, Nobody really knows. And you have to mystery. approach it like a game. I think that's why in yeah. older traditions, they're like, it's Maya, it's the world of illusion. And mm -hmm. some modern people will call that a simulation, like however you want to cut it. Where we're here. We, I think what's important though is that we all create what that meaning of life is for us individually. Because as you, I think you said in the beginning, there's been so much loss, like people had religion for a long time. And obviously there's a spiritual side of religion, which is beautiful, but then there's the organized part, which is crunchy and has caused a lot of issues. And I think as, you know, people have fallen away from religion because of that organized aspect, but then gone into the, the world of atheism. I was in that camp for a while when I was a teenager. Same. Um, until spirituality got smacked in my face, but mm -hmm. I was just reflecting like spirituality gives me so much meaning. Like mm -hmm. if I just thought it was just randomly here <laughs> for one time and I had to go through all this suffering that you're talking about, like life's hard, I would find it so challenging. Like when I've had my dark night of the soul moments, the only thing that helps me pull through is the spiritual practice and work that I've done and connecting into that and just believing that, you know, there is a reason for this all. And yeah. that meaning is so important for me. And I think it's like the number one thing <laughs> anyone on their path needs to do is like figure out what is the meaning for you mm -hmm. so that when you're in those really crunchy times, you've got something to kind of lean into. Yeah. That's powerful stuff because I feel like in one way or the other, that's what we're all yearning for. I think we kind of touched upon this in the beginning a little bit, but we're all yearning to come back to some kind of sense of purpose, some kind of meaning, escape the nihilism of the world and have a reason to be here, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have it all figured out, quite the contrary. I recognize that we're in this grand mystery. You know, we're in this grand game. We're in God's game, Leela, like you said. Um, but still doing the work, I find some kind of place in the game. There's still like some kind of, I still find a sense of purpose of playing my part here. It's hard to explain, but I think you kind of, you can kind of understand that as well. Like, even though we understand we're in this grand thing that really nobody has any idea it's not about that it's about you and finding that creative knack that creative passion or purpose in your life um, and bringing that forth into the world and keep it as simple in that way and that's where i feel as though purpose comes from it's like yeah we're caught in this grand conundrum but it's all about the simplicity 
Like being human is pretty simple when it comes down to it. One can come to find through meditation practices. It's a simple thing to be human. And it takes refinement to be able to find that. But I think in that refinement, in that simplicity, is a sense of purpose. And that, um, once you feel it, you don't unfeel it, you know? Um, once you tap into that wavelength, it's a, it becomes like a lifestyle. Like you said, spirituality is, uh, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's an umbrella term with a lot of, with a lot, there is a lot of woo woo, but I feel as though like true spirituality, it's like, you can't, you can't just go back into the matrix. It's not something that I could just give up and be like, Oh, tried that for a little bit. It's just a trend. Uh, whatever go back no it's like it's a whole thing it's a lifestyle it's maybe multiple lifestyle thing <laughs> but what i'm trying to say is it gives one a sense of uh true fulfillment to be alive you know mm, yeah that's it yeah it's pretty powerful stuff <laughs> uh, revere the mystery you know that's what I do, at least. I revere the mystery, and uh, but also keep it simple at the same time. Yeah, that's one of the most important qualities: is childlike or curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you know, if you look at a little kid, they're like, "Wow, look at this!" and "Why is that that color?" and that gets conditioned out of us. And you know, sometimes people take things too seriously, and that's the other razor's edge. It's like, okay, I want to be clear-headed and aware but also to have that fun and mm -hmm. awe and wonder at like how amazing everything is like, mm -hmm. like you said like so that every moment does feel really special um i think we live in a world that's very oversensitized and it's about resensitizing ourselves back to that like everyday little magic yeah. um sunset rainbows flowers that <laughs> we just we just overlook and then it does keep it simple you said it's just about being in that moment and just being like wow i'm here <laughs> this is this is cool <laughs> right wow i'm here i'm here you here we're all here this is cool yeah <laughs> i feel like that's what a kid would say too hey i'm here are you here <laughs> Yeah, this is cool, huh? <laughs> That's a kid becoming enlightened at the age of five. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's funny. I almost do see them as little enlightened beings. I almost feel like that's what we grow out of. Like we grow out of our essence. We get molded into some kind of For false sure. identity. But like kids yeah. are just so pure, man. There's something about them. Uh, yeah. I have a lot of friends who are parents that are experimenting different styles of parenting because they didn't have this modeled for them, but really about the child kind of being more the, the parent <laughs> and what oh. can they learn from them and how can they keep them as much in that kind of essential state. And it's a lot of trial and error. You still need boundaries, you, you know, but done with like kindness, but just, yeah, experimenting. Like how can we not just, <laughs> crush children like you know 50 100 200 years ago like mm -hmm. just don't even want to speak about horrible so i think it's going to be so interesting for the next generation or some of them mm. with different parenting styles how that might change um yeah because it is really cool so tangent dr joe Dispenza talks about the brainwave states as we develop and like as a baby, we're just, I think, in that really deep delta, like samadhi meditation state. And then I think up until the age of 10, I get this wrong, we're really easy into alpha theta. You know, that's why kids are so creative and so great with their imagination, imaginary friends. And then we slowly, I'm not sure if it's through conditioning or the way our brain develops, but then we kind of end up living in beta brainwaves um, typically as an adult. And I just thought that's really interesting because even when you're playing and communicating with a child, they're like literally on a different brainwave state most of the time. Interesting. Yeah. And those brainwave states uh, like data are more associated with meditative states, right? 
Yeah, alpha theta is like super creative, slower. Um, when you're in the zone, like if you were driving on a straight highway for hours, you kind of oh. naturally go into alpha theta. Mm -hmm. You get all these like downloads. Of, that's happened to me in Australia. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. I'm getting all this like creative stuff flowing in. Um, or that's what people try to get into if they're biohacking a flow state. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, like a, a sub lucid meditation state. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that science is catching up now and we can actually see the physiological differences that meditation brings to us and that kids are quite literally in some sort of meditative state at all times. Oh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. That's taking the woo out of it a little bit less because our paradigm is yeah. seeing is believing, you know. That was my whole journey into spirituality because I had two science degrees before and it was just um, a lecture I had recommended biology of belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton. And when I read that, it was like the permission slip <laughs> mm -hmm. to go from science into the world of woo because mm -hmm. my conditioning was the, um, as you said, I need to see it to believe it and yeah. double controlled blind studies that had been my whole life. And I love being able to play in this realm of um, understanding things because I'm a curious person. So like a lot of the research Dr. Joe has done, um, not only to help us understand, I guess, but it is nice to be able to show it to science people and be like, see, yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, I think the path, the path is actually a scientific path it is like a trial and error process we are the experiment um and that's what it comes down to is that we're all scientists in our own way going about this thing um trying to find out this peace trying to find this happiness but at the end of the day it's up to us we're the ones that have to run the experiment nobody else is going to do it for you you can listen to as many podcasts as you want read as many books as you want and they can they can show one the way it can guide one into certain modalities and practices <clears throat> but at the end of the day we got to do the experiment ourselves. you know <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. it comes down to the proof is in mm -hmm. the pudding within when you feel the subjective difference in uh yeah like i said before you can't unfeel it. it's it's real once you actually go through it and you do this stuff um yeah that's all i gotta say to that <laughs> um but yeah that's why we have people like you uh, in the world to, to help out guide others into this wavelength to become the scientists of the self, you know, the holy science is, uh, Sri Yukteswar, which was Yogananda's guru likes to say, it's, it's the holy science of the self. And that's what yoga is and yoga, meditation, mm. whatever you want to really call it, the whole spiritual realm, true spirituality is really just a science of the self or science of the soul. Mm -hmm. like um, yeah. Run the experiments. Yeah, experiment. so important. Yeah, inner <laughs> scientist reading the inner book. Um, and especially in this age of technology, like really honoring the inner technology and yeah. being just as connected to our inner Wi-Fi as the outer. I just think it's just such an important message to share because um, we're still in such an information-hungry stage. And just as we alluded to before, balancing that thirst for spiritual knowledge with also going within. Mm -hmm. I think that's just one of the biggest mistakes I see people make sometimes, just wanting to know everything in the mind and read all the books. And, um, you know, our mind can grasp amazing concepts. It can, it can talk about the ninth dimension and all this other stuff. But, like, until we've experienced it, it's just borrowed knowledge from, from someone else. Yeah. And, it takes time. Like, you know, I believe in quantum leaps happening, but typically it, you know, it takes time and experience, 10,000 hours being dedicated and having patience with where we are in our journey. I think that's when the quantum leaps kind of happen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's all about being the inner, inner scientist. Mm. Well said. Well, you know what? I don't have anything else to say. I think that's a good note to wrap <laughs> this thing up at. Uh, do Absolutely. you have anything you want to say? Any last words? No, it that? feels really complete. Yeah. It does feel complete. Seriously. Well, I thank you for coming on here, sharing your time, 
effort and wisdom with me and anybody that listens in the future. I thank anybody that listens in the future as well. Um, yeah, keep doing your thing. You have a, um, a very easy presence and demeanor about you, a very easy soul to speak to. I feel at ease just having this conversation. So I wish you all the best and keep doing your thing. Thank you. It's been so fun. Such a pleasure to be able to have these conversations. I've enjoyed every minute. So thank you. Thank you. Peace and love. Peace and love, everybody. Bye-bye.